There are many activities that, that characterize motherhood, that, that go together. Uh, when we think of motherhood, uh, everything from the, the day-to-day uh, duties and activities, preparing meals, cleaning clothes, folding clothes. Uh, it, it's amazing that we live in this day and age and somebody still hasn't invented self-folding clothing. Uh, we're in the future now. It seems like we should have that, and moms would appreciate that. So what you, you kids here that are studying to be engineers and your math and science, somebody work on that, okay? You'll make moms happy. Uh, but we think of those activities, think of just the activities of uh, you know, a, a mom uh, you know, kissing a, a, a wounded knee, of comforting a, a sick child. But of course, if we think of, of motherhood, uh, one of the activities, uh, in particular, at least for the, the biological moms uh, that is associated, would be actually giving birth, actually giving birth to children. But today, we live in a very strange world, if you, if you have noticed, uh, in which you will hear reports that it's not only uh, ladies and, and mothers that can have children, but you will hear people get, try to give serious reports that today there are, are men that give birth, men having, having babies. And this used to be the type of thing that would be reserved for the, the, the crazy tabloids at the supermarket, the ones where it talks about you know, space aliens and uh, finding lost treasure and things like that. But in these days, you will hear this reported with a straight face on the mainline media. I remember reading an article in Time magazine talking about a, a man giving birth. And I, I was going to put up a, a picture of this, but then I realized I, I just could not do that to you on a Sunday morning or with a, a supposedly pregnant man. Uh, it's Mother's Day. We don't need that in our, in our heads. In addition to this, uh, to add to the craziness, in March of this year, Planned Parenthood, uh, on, on Twitter, you, you put those two things together and you know you're in for something uh, good, uh, but they had this post saying, some men have a uterus. And they repeated that, I think, 11 times. Because if you say something over and over enough, well, then it, it must be true. Uh, if you notice, that's a tactic that people have these days. You can say something with, with no backing for it, but if you say it enough, eventually there will be people that will say, well, I've heard this a lot. It, it must be true. I would reply to this, some men have a uterus. Uh, false. Because biology, that's just not how it is. If you have a uterus. You, you are not a man. You are not a male. Uh, the, genetically, you do not come equipped with that. And I would say if Planned Parenthood, if their biology is bad enough where they think this is true, they probably, it's another reason for them not to be trusted uh, with surgical procedures. Yes, yeah, so a woman can pretend that she is a man, uh, she could have a doctor do uh, surgeries to unnaturally uh, make her look like a man, take drugs uh, to force her body into a masculine appearance, but the biology, the underlying biology doesn't 
really change. It doesn't change what's on the inside. It doesn't change the, the chromosomes that are in each of our cells that, uh, that, that build us up and, and dictate what we are. And if you, have a, if you have Y chromosomes, you are a guy. If you have just X chromosomes, you, you are a, a woman. I mean, that's, that's the objective scientific reality. And my prayer would be for people that are in uh, the situation where there is confusion on this, uh, that they would be able to find the love of Jesus Christ and the acceptance that comes from him, and that they would be able to accept the physical body that they were born with. And I would pray that God, that they would realize that God did not make a mistake when he put them in the body he put them in. So all this in mind with this, our world situation today, so imagine... My surprise, when I noticed a verse that I had read in the Bible many times, but a verse, okay, hold on and, and don't run out until I explain what's going on here. A verse in the Bible that, that talks about a man, a literal biological male, going through the pains of, of childbirth and having children. A literal biological man. Um, yes, now, now that I have your attention, okay, a verse that, uh, about male motherhood in the Bible. Is this true? Can men be mothers too? And this is a verse about the apostle Paul, nonetheless. So let's take a look at this. This is Galatians 4.19. In this, the apostle Paul writes, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of, of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I can just imagine somebody in today's world, you know, taking that verse, uh, ripping and screaming out of context to make it mean what they want it to mean. Because uh, on, it, on its own, in, in this world, this is a verse that is talking about Paul, who is a man, and he is describing himself having gone through the pains of childbirth. Of course, when we read this in context, we realize uh, very quickly, uh, he does not mean this in a literal sense. He is talking about these Christians in Galatia that he is, is ministering to, that he had worked with them for their salvation and their upbringing, and he was caring for them, and he was writing this letter of Galatians to them because they had gone into error. They had gone into doctrinal error. They were going off the, off the rails and his, his heart was breaking for them. And in the midst of all this, he has this verse saying that he cares for them as though they, they are his children. And spiritually, many of them were his, his children. And he's saying that uh, his, his heart is breaking for them so much that the only thing that he can compare it to that, that seems fitting is the anguish that a mother goes through in, in childbirth. And he's saying that he is again going through this type of anguish for them, for their concern, and for what he wants God to accomplish in their life. Which it says here is for until Christ is formed in them. Several weeks ago, I was at the uh, Together for the Gospel conference in uh, Louisville, and I heard uh, John MacArthur do a, a different message that was on this verse. And he was talking mostly to, uh, to pastors 
and talking about this shows our responsibility, like the Apostle Paul, to, uh, to, to anguish, uh, to work hard in the lives of our people that we have, our, our, our children, in order for the right goal. Not filling seats, not uh, some of these other different shallow goals, but the ultimate that Christ would be formed in them. And as I heard him talk, that's when it hit me that this would actually be a great verse to talk about for Mother's Day. Uh, that this is something that, even though this is referred to metaphorically here, I mean, this is the Apostle Paul talking, but if this is true for him, isn't it also true, literally, for parents? And isn't it literally true for mothers? That maybe the, the start of your motherhood uh, may have started uh, with you physically giving birth to your children. But that's just the beginning. That is just the beginning of the, the anguish because there's so much effort, there's so much that goes on uh, day after day, year after year, decade after decade as we watch our children, as we work in their lives for them to become the, the man or woman eventually that God wants them to be. And I thought this is a great verse to talk about what that should be that we are aiming for. And so I think this applies uh, literally to mothers, to, but it also would, this would apply the same way to adoptive moms that are laboring and striving to bring up their children to have Christ formed in them. In a sense, this, apply, this would apply to all parents, to dads. And in another sense, this would apply to all Christians as well as we work together, as we have covenanted together in the baby dedication to, to help each other to raise the children that God has placed together as part of this family to know uh, the love of the Lord and to be raised in the, the fear and admonition of the Lord. So let's give two points as we, as we think about this truth. Two big things that we can draw from this here on Mother's Day. And the first, we'll say, is that the goal of this anguish is for Christ to be formed in your children. See, parents will go to great lengths and great efforts for something to be formed in their children, for their children to turn out a certain way. Most parents will, will sacrifice, they will work, they will strive for this to happen. But is it always for, for Jesus Christ to be formed? Or would it be true that for, for many parents in America today, and oftentimes even in churches, that for this to be accurate for them, it would have to say something along the lines, I am in anguish, I'm again in anguish of childbirth until LeBron James is formed in you. I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Bill Gates is, is formed in you. That there's some kind of a dream that many parents have for their children, but sometimes it's not specifically the main thing for Christ to be formed in them. If you close your eyes and imagine your children, you're grown up, what do you picture? Do you picture just the, the American dream? Do you picture your neighbor's dream? Your personal dream for them? Or when you picture your, your children at the end, do you picture someone that grows into the character and the likeness of Jesus Christ. Because that's the goal of Christianity. Part of it is, is to be, for us to be conformed to Jesus Christ, to be made like him. 
And this is one passage that talks about this. It says that Christ to be formed in us. Uh, the word for formed here is uh, morphe, to be morphed, to be, to be changed, transformed into Jesus Christ. We see this in this verse. There's several other places in Scripture that talk about this as well. Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. 1 Corinthians 15.49, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We're being changed into the image of Christ. 1 John 3, 2-3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We need to keep this in mind as, as the goal. Because there's so many things in our world that will try to push us towards these alternate, uh, alternate goals, alternate idols that we have. That this is what you want your children to grow up to become. This is what will make you proud. This is what will good, look good in the eyes of the, the people around you, your neighbors. This will make good Facebook posts. This will make uh, other people happy that you've raised you know, this, this trophy you know, for yourself and your children. Thinking about this, there, there are many things we could pick out, but let me give you three idols to think about, three idols that I think often uh, get in the way. We've alluded to some of these already. Uh, one would be just this idol of success. And what do you have as what is successful in, in your eyes and for your kids? You know, is it to become ultimately like Christ? Or are you laboring most of all that they would get into a good college? That, uh, that you labor and struggle so that a, a future doctor or lawyer or executive is formed in your child? And for many parents, that's, that's what it's all about. Sports is another huge one. And it's something that I believe is uh, each year becomes more of a, a pressing issue on parents and on families. That more and more you see this, especially if you look decade to decade, but it, it just keeps increasing how much pressure there is uh, to uh, be involved in more, to be involved in these things even earlier. I mean, it would be to the point where we have everyone in, you know, two-year-old travel league, you know, for uh, nine sports, 12 months out of the year. Some of the sacrifices that parents are called to make are, are just amazing. No, am I saying sports are bad? They're, they're not. I mean, there's a verse we could look to, and if you're a sports family, this would be a verse to write down to keep in mind, to talk about with your kids. First Timothy 4.8 1 Timothy 4.8 says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So saying that, yeah, sports, physical, bodily training is good. We can do that. But when it becomes the main thing, that it's wrong. And godliness is even more important. I think it's another way of saying godliness would be, well, becoming like the God-man, becoming like Jesus Christ in our character, in our values, in what we love, loving the same things he loves, being like him. 
that this, that has value in this life and it has value for eternity. If you're going to put your effort behind something, it makes sense to put our effort behind that. Let me give you another idol, and this is a little bit different. I saw a news um, article a few weeks ago. Uh, the local Fox 17 out of Grand Rapids had a little article on this, and it made me think of this idol, an idol of, of safety. That maybe it's not as much about your big thing is for them to uh, become this, this certain image. It's just all about just, just keep them safe, keep them safe, keep them safe. And that's a good thing. Obviously, we want to keep our children safe, but even people outside of the church have noticed that sometimes this can hamper our kids' development. And if this gets in the way of them becoming like Christ, we need to reevaluate. The article that I saw talked about uh, lawnmower parenting. And that was kind of a new thing. It said, you know, forget about uh, helicopter parenting. Are you a lawnmower parent? And some of us have heard about lawnmower or uh, helicopter parenting. It's the, the parents that they're like a helicopter, always hovering over their kids. You know, just wherever they go, they just have to be right there watching over them and never giving them any you know, space. And this article said that uh, lawnmower parenting is, is like that, but to another degree, that um, it takes it to the next level. It's, it described it as being like a lawnmower going out in front of your kids and removing every possible obstacle that they could run into. Like every possible uh, thing that could cause them discomfort, that could cause them discouragement, that could cause them pain or hurt. Just going and that anything that could lead to failure or discomfort. And the article really described it as a form of, of fear-based parenting. Which all this, and we do, we live in a world where there's lots to fear, I think with the internet, we're more aware of that. But that can take over and control us so much that it's, we can give in to this temptation of uh, you know, putting our, our children in a giant protective bubble. And that cannot, that oftentimes that is not healthy for them. Fear-based parenting or really a lot of control to try and be in control of everything so they never experience anything that, that might be bad. They never get a scraped knee. They never uh, run into an obstacle that is tough for them. They never encounter a germ that may make them sick. But here's the thing. If your goal is to protect your child from every harm, then he or she will never be like Christ. Because if our goal is to be like Christ, we have to realize Christ, Christ got hurt. He was living in a world where he knew he would get hurt. He was willing to, to be hurt to serve others. He was willing to absorb hurt for us. I mean, that's why if you're a Christian or if you're saved, it's because Jesus Christ absorbed the, the hurt for you on the cross. And if you're raising, especially a young man, to be a husband one day, and he is called to love his wife and his family like Christ loved the church, he needs to be trained to be willing and able to, at the right times, to absorb that hurt for his family. That's part of his Christ-like calling. Biblical parenting isn't about keeping your child from, from getting hurt. It's preparing them for when they, when they do get hurt. The goal of the anguish is for Christ to be formed in our children. And from this verse, we can also see 
just the second half of this message, is that this is described as anguish. I mean, if Paul is picking out that this is about childbirth, uh, this is something that is a, a, a grueling, anguishing process that we go through, not just bringing a child in, but, but raising the child as well. Childbirth requires anguish. It's a painful process. I, I will confess to you, I have never actually given birth to a child. Uh, I am married to a woman that has given birth to four children. And uh, apparently, it looks like it does hurt a lot uh, from everything that I could, could tell. Um, the, the worst I had was when I would uh, make jokes that weren't appreciated during the labor and, and get slugged, which happened a few times. Uh, when Eric, uh, we were in the hospital when, before Eric was born, I remember... Uh, being at Butterworth and going around the, the hallways doing the loops to try and, uh, you know, get things going. And, uh, you know, hope is, you know, in pain and discomfort. And I remember saying to her, you know, this is, this is because of the fall. It's, it's part of the curse. <laughs> and it turns out that's theologically correct, but, but not always the most helpful thing to bring up. So I think I got slugged right then. And then uh, later on, when uh, after the process, she's in hard labor, at that point, you know, I'm trying to be the good husband. I'm trying to be supportive there for her. And uh, she's in the midst of hard labor, and it's going on for, for quite a while. So I'm, I'm trying to be comforting. I, I think if I remember right, I don't know why I did this, but I thought, I'll, I'll sing to her. <laughs> so I started to sing a little bit. And uh, then there was some kind of, you know, grunt, and I, I got hit. And then she realized, okay, I, I'm just this... Uh, this, this pathetic husband trying his best foolishly to, to, to give comfort to his wife. And she took my hand and she said to me very gently, I just need your presence. And I looked at her and I said, I didn't bring any presents. <laughs> and we had our last child, uh, Joel, when she was in the hospital, they had a chart that was there that listed medical information, and uh, they left that unattended uh, with a marker. Uh, so the part where it uh, said um, preferred pain control, I just wrote on there, bite on stick. <laughs> so. <clears throat> Child, Christ formation, we want Christ to be formed in our children. This requires anguish. Okay, when Paul was writing this in the first century, okay, they did not have morphine. They did not have epidurals or spinal blockers. Okay, they, you experienced the full load of it. And as parents, as moms, if we want Christ to be formed in our children, you're going to experience the, the, the full load, the full agony of this. And it's a process. It is not a quick one minute and it's done. Uh, it's not even a 12-hour a labor. This is, uh, you, you got 20 years for starters, and then they go on, and it's a different type of caring and a different type of anguish even after that. We did baby dedication this morning. Baby dedications are not magic. It's the choices that the parents make that really counts. I don't have any magical glitter that I could sprinkle over your children so that they will turn out as strong men or women no matter what choices you make or what you do. 
And that is why God gives us these instructions to, to work and to agonize with his help and by his grace into the lives of our children. And giving birth is, is just the start. We think, can think of some of the practical ways. We'll go through these quickly. The first we want to say, well, we're not saving this one to last. The first is prayer. To be praying for your children constantly, consistently, specifically for your children. Because only God can cause the spiritual life and growth in your child. You could do all kinds of techniques and all kinds of different things. You could involve them in this and that. But God has to be the one that's at work in your children's lives to change their heart and for them to continue to grow, to give them what they need to get through the difficult times, the challenges and the obstacles that they're going to face. And also this is important at the beginning because this will also change you as a parent to make it easier to do the other things that you're called to do and to have the heart to want to do them. So first thing, be praying constantly for your children. A next thing to remember, how to, how to anguish, how to go about this process. Your example is of utter importance because I, I'm going to say in the next point, you, you need to teach them, you need to use your words, but your example that you live out will do one of two things. It will either amplify your words or it will cancel them out because your children will look to you and if you profess to be a Christian, they will say, this is what the normal Christian life is like. And if you are leading a, a lukewarm, a mediocre life, that is what they're going to think. Well, that's, that's an exemplary Christian life. It will counteract everything that you do. And even worse, if you're, uh, if you're a hypocrite, professing Christ and then living for the world and living for all kinds of other things every other hour that you're not in church. Often more, more is caught than taught as they look at your life. And your kids will see what is important to you. They will see what really captures your heart, what really gets you excited. Teaching, actual teaching, is biblical and is really important. Now there's both planned teaching and informal teaching. So yeah, there are planned times where you're praying with your children, doing devotions with them, uh, family worship, different uh, planned things that you do, but also informally. And that's what Deuteronomy 6, 5-7 through 7 talks about. We read this during the, the baby dedication as well. And these words I command you today shall be on your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Let me give you two more. There's plenty more you can be thinking of. And there's all kinds of different ways that you're going to figure out how do you apply this. But church involvement, consistent church involvement. We're not called to do the Christian life alone. Yes, you are the, the primary person to be raising your children, but we're also called to do this together. You want them to be uh, following the, the lead of that you go to church, you gather together with the other saints. And that's going to mean other adults as well, pouring into the life of your children, reinforcing the values and the lessons and the beliefs that you have as well. And sometimes we make up for the, the gaps that each of us you know, have. I'm so thankful for other people pouring into the lives of my children as well. 
but we also want to teach them that we value this, that it is, it is worth getting up on Sunday when we could be doing other things and we could be sleeping in, and to get up even earlier to, to go to Sunday school because we value discipleship. We value continued growth. And it is something that, that will take uh, agony at times. There's times where it's not convenient to do it. There's times where we won't feel like doing it, but we do it because it's the right thing to do. I don't know if some of you ever see on the, on the internet the, the Babylon Bee. And we see that it's this kind of Christian parody site where they have like fake news on purpose, and it's it's satire for making a point. Okay, one of these that I saw a while back uh, had this. I thought it was pretty hard hitting. Um, it's a fake news story, but it says after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents shocked by daughter's lack of faith, making the point that funny but not funny that this is. And too often how it is. Should we really expect something, something different? And so finally, that ties into the fact that part of the anguish, part of this process involves our priorities, our choices. There's things we choose to do. That's also going to mean, because you do not have infinite amount of time, things that you choose not to do. Things that maybe everyone around you is choosing to do, but you decide, you know what? That would be important if something else was the goal of formation for my kid. But my desire, as your desire as a mom or a dad, is, is for Christ to be formed. That's going to change many of your choices, how you use your time. And all of this, it's a process. It's something that is ongoing. You can't just snap your fingers and it's done when I mentioned John MacArthur preaching a different sermon on the same passage at Together for the Gospel, uh, it turned out they had a giveaway where uh, they're trying to see at the beginning who was the longest-serving pastor at a church. And they had 12,000 know, pastors there, and it, it turned out John MacArthur won. Uh, that uh, he was almost 50 years at the church, same church that he's at. It was kind of funny because they had picked in advance uh, the prize that they were going to give away. And he won this, and it was actually a set of John MacArthur commentaries. Uh, <laughs> they didn't plan this. But in his message, he said this, and I thought this was powerful. He said, some people ask me, why stay in the same church for so long? And he said, I tell them, it's because Christ isn't formed in any of my people yet. And he's not formed in me either. That this is something that we keep on doing. We keep on working in this process. And so whether it's you're a church leader and you're trying to help each other in church to become Christ-like, we never finish in this life. And as parents, it's not going to finish. It's a process that keeps on going. Perseverance is so important. And one example, as, as we close here, I want to leave you with this, an example of perseverance. This is from a long time ago in church history that uh, one of the most important figures in church history um, is uh, Augustine of Hippo. And if you've never heard of him, you just take my word. He's one of the most important, after the time of the New Testament, uh, Christian writers, and all denominations probably would, would agree on this. He was born in 354 in a small town in North Africa. And he was the son of a, a pagan father, 
Patrukas and his mother, a Christian mother, and her name was Monica, and she was, uh, she was a devout Christian. At this time, Christianity had already been made legal in the Roman Empire. It would, had been legalized in 313. So Monica, this Christian mom, was free to uh, exercise her faith without persecution. Uh, but one of the things that she was not able to do was to, to, to just require her son to be brought up as a Christian. Uh, because in the ancient world, uh, sons or boys, they would follow in the footsteps of their, of their father. And at the time, Augustine's father was, was a pagan. However, this didn't prevent her from doing what she could. Uh, she wanted to make sure that she would do everything she could to make sure that he was familiar with Christianity. So she took him to church with her. She enrolled him as a catechumen in what would be kind of the, the fourth century equivalent of Sunday school to make sure that he's getting his building blocks, his foundations. At home, Augustine's mother sang to him, sang hymns to him. And through so much of this singing, he, he learned spiritual truth through this. And more than anything else, she prayed for him. She prayed for him consistently with many, many tears for, for years and years, decades and decades. However, Augustine did not become a Christian, but instead he was attracted to the pursuits and the pleasures of this world. He left home for Italy as a young man. He spent years in, in rebellion. He was sexually promiscuous. He had a, one mistress for 15 years. And later when he sent her away, uh, he uh, took another mistress after her. He pursued a life of intellectual learning to be like a, a great philosopher, or a, a thinker. That was what he wanted to be and to have influence over others. He even at times became involved with a false religion uh, known as the Manichees. And through this whole time, his mother Monica never stopped praying for him. It said that she pled for him when he would not plead for himself. And one writer put it that, that Monica had learned patience in the pain of long unanswered prayers. She also prayed for her, her pagan husband, who was unfaithful to her. Think of the heartbreak that she had just year after year in this, in this situation. But he was, her husband was finally won to Christ at the end of his life. Augustine, never stopping the focus of Monica's prayers either, and later on, Augustine would write that she shed more tears over my spiritual death than many other mothers shed for a bodily death of a son. When he was involved in this false religious group, at one point she went to a, an old bishop uh, to get counsel. This bishop had once been part of that group too and had seen the error of his ways. And he gave her this counsel. He said, and she didn't want to hear this, but he said, leave him alone, just pray to God for him. For from his own reading, he will discover the mistakes and the depths of his profanity. Leave me and go in peace. It cannot be that the son of these tears should be lost. But Augustine continued uh, into adulthood as, a, as an unbeliever, running away from God into his, into his 30s. And then there's experience where after a long period of, of turmoil and God, God working on him in his life, 
that finally Augustine had was brought by the Lord into, into conversion, into repentance. Augustine writes in his confessions, he said, I flung myself down beneath a fig tree and gave way to the tears which now stream from my eyes. In my ministry I kept crying, how long shall I go on saying tomorrow, tomorrow? Why not now? Why not make an ugly end of sins at this moment? All at once I heard the sing-song voice of a child in a nearby house. Whether it was the voice of a boy or a girl, I cannot say, but again and again it repeated this refrain, take it and read, take it and read. At this I looked up, thinking hard whether there was any kind of a game in which children used to chant words like these, but I could not remember ever hearing them before. I stemmed my flood of tears and stood up, telling myself that this could only be a divine counsel to open my book of Scripture and read the first passage which my eyes should fall on. So I hurried to the place where where my friend was sitting and seized uh, the book of Paul's epistles and opened it, and in silence I read the first passage on which my eyes fell. Not in reveling or drunkenness, not in lust and wantonness, nor in quarrels or rivalries. Rather, arm yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and spend no more thought on nature and nature's appetites. This was from Romans 13. said, I had no wish to read more or need to do so. For in an instant, as I came to the end of the sentence, it was as though the light of confidence flooded into my heart and all the darkness of doubt was dispelled. Augustine was converted. He became a Christian, began growing. When he was 33, he was baptized on Easter. And that very fall, his, his mother died. And said so she died a very happy woman because the, the son of her tears was, was finally safe after these years and years of praying for him. When Augustine had gone to tell his mother of his conversion, he says, Augustine writes, Then we went and told my mother of his conversion, who was overjoyed. And when we went on to describe how it all happened, she was jubilant with triumph and and glorified you, God, who are powerful enough and more powerful enough to carry out your purpose beyond all our hopes and dreams. For she saw that you had granted her far more than she used to ask in her tearful prayers and plaintive lamentations. You converted me to yourself, and you turned her sadness into rejoicing, into joy far fuller than her dearest wish. Augustine became the the bishop of the city of Hippo and, and really the most important Christian thinker and writer since the time of the New Testament. Because he had a mother who was, as the verse we were looking at, she was in anguish of childbirth until Christ was formed in him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We give you praise. We thank you for the new birth that those that have turned to you and trusted in you for salvation from their sins have experienced. And we acknowledge ultimately this comes from the Holy Spirit that, that, that works this new birth in our hearts, Lord God. Lord, we also thank you for those that in our lives have prayed for us, that have worked to bring us the word of God, to nurture us. Lord, I pray for the mothers that are here, those that 
Um, some have young children. Some don't have children yet, but, uh, but, but will. Some have children that are, that are older. Some of the children are walking in your ways, have trusted in you, and some have wandered. Some have never come to saving trust. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be consistent in our prayers because you are the one that can change hearts and lives. You are the one that can take someone that for decades has ran away from you and made terrible decisions, Lord, and you can get a hold of them. You have saved hard hearts and difficult people, Lord, that you have changed. So we ask that you would help us to do everything that we can in our power to to raise our children, to know you, to love you, help us to make the right choices. And at the beginning and at the end, after all that we have done, we ask that you help us to be constant in prayer. And that even if children are going in the wrong direction, Lord, help us to keep praying. And we ask that you would go after them, that you would bring them around, that you would fill them with the joy that comes from repenting and knowing you and finding their satisfaction in the God that they were created to serve. So help us as we anguish, as if in childbirth, until Christ is formed in our children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.